Uh, it was good to laugh because we're going to talk to today about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we're not talking about being down in the mouth or not, not laughing or not being, having things to joke about. God's got a sense of humor. Uh, I mean, when the Egyptians and the Philistines, they had the ark uh, in, in a home and then they, they took the ark and then they had all kinds of diseases that came to them and they says, how are we going to get rid of these diseases? And they made golden symbols of the things that they had and they had mice and hemorrhoids. And so they made golden hemorrhoids and golden mice and shipped the ark back with them. I mean, God must have been laughing, saying, you know how stupid you look? But anyway, God's got a sense of humor and I enjoy it. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, he, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The title of today's sermon is called, Who Are You? What is, our, what is your identity? What is our identity? And in Micah chapter 8, when he says, 6 verse 8, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. We've all got discussions of what does it mean to do justice? What does justice look like? What does it mean to love kindness? And what does it mean to walk humbly with your God? And from there, there's, there's countless religions that have been spun out and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. This is what it means to do that and to be that. And um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is early on in his public career as a, as a Messiah, a Messiah, as the Messiah and teacher. But he, he, he unpacks that, those words there, of what it means to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, we need to see Matthew in the life of Jesus in the context that it was written. And the interesting thing with Scripture is that uh, it's a suspense story. And this life with Christ is a suspense. And if you're anything like us in our home, we enjoy a good suspense thriller novel movie. Anybody with me on that? Like where you start the story in the beginning and you get introduced to the characters and then you're not sure what's going to happen, but you're already into it. And if somebody wants to interrupt you, you say, leave me alone, I'm watching, I'm, I'm into the story. And so we get in, engaged in it, engrossed in it. God loves a suspense story. I mean, God is the master suspense thriller writer of stories and there's so many stories in the scripture that are exactly that you hang on till the end what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and he comes through right in the end i just love it so here's the interesting thing about suspense stories the scripture is a suspense suspense story and so here's jesus in in matthew in the middle of the scripture we have matthew and jesus is the story now they're living it they don't realize that it's in the middle of something they just kind of think this is what all of life is about. And that's kind of where we go. But it's a suspense. It's a suspense story. We need to try. And so we look at a verse in the middle of it and we try and make sense of it. And somehow it doesn't work. If you want to know what that's like to experience it, you just be the person who started to watch a suspense thriller show on, on TV or something. You got the DVD, you put it in, and, and instantly you realize this is going to be incredible. The, the, the way it's written, the characters, and it's probably British. Um, I like British because the, the, the seems the North American get everything slimy right away. And the, the British seem to not have it that much. Elmer, didn't you find that when you were in the UK? That... <laughs> What's that? I didn't watch TV. Ah, very good. Good answer. Good answer. But the, 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 imagine for a minute, so then if you're watching the show, you're just, 
Ten minutes into it, the characters have been introduced, the plot to the story has been introduced, and, and you're just, wow, this is going to be good, this is good. And you're excited, and you're, you're watching it, and your palms are already sweaty, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, and what's going to happen. And then your spouse comes in, and sits down beside you, so what's happening? Who is this? Who's that? What's going on? And, and you want to explain it, but you don't. You just say, okay, look, I, I don't want to explain it right now, okay? No, no, but you're watching. I want to watch it with you. Let's, let's get into this together. And so you're thinking you're going to try and explain it. You know it doesn't work. So you have to pause it and try and explain everything, or you just start all over again. Then what happens is your spouse, li- spouse leaves the room because they got something else going on. And then they come back an hour and a half, two hours later. There's 15 minutes left. And they come bouncing in and sit beside you. Well, what's happening? Tell me what's happening. And you're on the edge of your chair. You just wound up like crazy. And what do you mean what's happening? Well, what's happening here? Was this the person that was... And you, you say, can you just leave me alone? I just... We could start it all over again, but don't stop me now. It gets exciting. And so, for me, the best of those, I've seen some incredibly, wonderfully written thriller shows, then I want to watch it again, because now I know what's happening. So if I've seen it the first time, then I invite my spouse, I mean, just hypothetically, if someone has seen something, <laughs> then they invite their spouse, then you might want to tell them in the beginning, now watch this, this is important, this part here. Make sure you, oh, you didn't get this. And, and it, it, it kind of ruins it, you know. It's a good suspense story. Dropping into Matthew and seeing Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and taking a few verses and having them make sense is as hard to do as it is to have somebody enter halfway through a thriller show and have it make sense to them. You've got to read the whole story. You've got to read all of it. So today we're going to read the whole Bible. <laughs> or not. Okay. But I just want you to understand the challenge. You know, we take a verse out of some place and we try to apply it to our context in our life. And we wonder why we've got trouble applying it. And we've got to study all of Scripture. The exciting thing about reading Scripture is we can read it again and again, and it's always thrilling and it's always exciting. And, and we know how the story ends, but it's good to read it, and we get excited about it, and, and we love it to retell it. Also, each time we read it, we see something new. And what needs to happen now is that I'm going to, I'm going to preach on Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to each of us. And some of the things He's going to say to you, I'm actually going to say, but most of them I'm not. Mostly He's going to speak to you about what He wants you to hear. That's what this business of bringing God's Word is all about. I need to be faithful and study and pray, write something down and come here and deliver something. And you need to come here and say, Lord, what do you have for me? And then the Holy Spirit will say things to you and you'll say, Dave, that was incredible what, what God spoke through you. And if I ask you what it was, I'll say, I didn't say that. Nowhere did I say that. It doesn't matter. But we're in this together here, folks. We're in this together. And the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen and encourage each of us. And the Holy Spirit invites us to move along the continuum in the story that we're in.
So that's what we want to do together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here and for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help me now to be faithful to you. And Holy Spirit, come now and breathe your breath into these words. Open our ears and our hearts to hear from you. We want to hear you. We want to see you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. By God's grace, I get to preach again next Sunday, which is good news because I just got too much for one Sunday. So I'm thrilled about that. That was a gift to me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, pardon me, Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had just been baptized, came out of the water, and God the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Then he went into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested, and Satan challenged him on his identity. Every one of the things was a challenge to identity. Can you accomplish in the flesh what you can only do in the spirit? Who are you really? Identity challenge. He came back out of there. He called his disciples together and gathered them with interesting challenges like come follow me, forget everything you have, leave it all behind, come follow me, leave your mom and dad, the fishing nets, everything, leave it behind, come follow me. It's radical, radical. And that's who Jesus is and that's what he calls people to. And then in the middle of that, the, the, the people all around, they're coming around him, gathering around, and Scripture says, then Jesus went up onto the mountain, and he sat down, and he opened his mouth. It's just bizarre. Scripture says he opened his mouth. Isn't it obvious when he spoke he opened his mouth? But there's times when Jesus was in a tough place where he didn't open his mouth, where he didn't defend himself, and he didn't say anything. So, you see, sometimes he did, and sometimes he didn't. It's not a given that he was going to say something. But when he went up in the mountain, people would have identified with that right away. Ah, going up in the mountain. Remember Moses? Remember what Gene shared here? Up in the mountain, going in the mountain. This is a familiar sight. Gathered people around to teach them. Then he sat down. What does that mean? Well, throughout Jesus' walk, he was training as he went. You know, he says, as you go, make disciples. He would walk and teach, walk and teach. But now this is different this time because now Jesus goes... Everybody gathers around, and he says, okay, just wait a minute. He says, wait a minute here. Because if I get up here to preach, and I'm walking around, and I'm moving around, and you, you're fine. You look at your clock, you think this is, this is going to be okay. But if I do this, <clears throat> okay, now, let me tell you some things. I'm going to be here a while, so I thought I'd sit down, because I'm just going to get tired, okay? So, you're all going, oh my, we're in for a long one. And the thing that I, one of the things I love about going to Africa is that if you would do that there, they'd say, oh, that's good. We like it. We like the long one. I'll remember where I am. (laughs) Now, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, at the end of Jesus' teaching, it says, when he had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He was teaching them as one having authority. So what Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, see, Jesus is the message. You and I are the message. The title of the sermon is, Who Are You? We want to find out who you and I are. And where do we fit into this? How do we see ourselves? How does God see us? Jesus was the message. 
If I'm going to get up here and teach and preach to you guys about financial things, about giving and being generous, about giving until it hurts, what do you want to know about me? What's that? How much have I given? It's a good question, isn't it? You're going to preach on giving? Everyone wants to know, are you giving? If I want to preach to you and teach to you about the importance of reading God's Word, what do you want to know? Hmm? Do you do it? You're talking to us about it. Do you do it? If I'm going to do a marriage seminar and teach you about being a husband and being married, what do you want to know? Am I a good one? Jesus spoke as one having authority. You get authority when you do the thing that you're preaching. That's when you have authority. As a child, my dad said, Dave, whatever you do, don't ever start smoking. Don't ever smoke. From a brown bottle, he would drink the beer on a, on a hot day. So oh, it's hot. Whatever you do, don't start drinking. What did I do? Start smoking when I was eight years old, picking up the butts for my dad and my grandfather. Drinking the beer because it's refreshing. Jesus spoke as one having authority. So, the Sermon on the Mount is spoken from the authority of Jesus Christ who lived it. It wasn't theory. This was actual practice. And he's talking to us. So let's go back up to the beginning of it. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed, the word blessed, apparently is difficult to translate from the Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew, so everything's difficult for me. But apparently it's difficult. I researched this a little bit, and I found a guy who was on a translation team that translated this for a Bible, he says there's a whole translation team. They spent days on this one word. They had pages and pages of what it meant and how to say it and how to try and fit it into one or two English words. And he says, and we have blessed. He says, blessed doesn't cut it. It's not there, but we've got to do something because we can't have pages and pages for one word. But blessed talks about, oh, the gladness of. Oh, how incredibly happy you'll be in the core of who you are. It talks about being pure and holy. Pure and holy. Righteous before God. It means approved by God. 
On what basis can we come and take communion? On the basis that Jesus Christ has redeemed us. And he says, if you're going to come to the Father on the basis that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, that's what he's talking about. He says, that's who I'm talking about. Those people that come to Christ, not from their own merit, not from their own strength, not from their own identity. Who are you? That's who I'm talking about. When we get to heaven, when we die rather, and, and there's a door to go through, and we knock on the door, and somebody opens the gates. Whoever that is, it's not clear to me, but St. Peter, as the story goes, opens the pearly gates. I don't think so. I think it's Jesus. And we say, what's going to happen on that day? Are we going to see our Father? That's the question. And if we go when we die, and we say, he says, okay, who, who are you? What are you doing here? He said, well, I want to come in. But who are you? Well, I'm the guy that preached for all those people. Remember that? All over the country, all over the world. I went and I preached the gospel, wrote books. Many people came to you. They're here. I can see them behind you. They're here. Okay, but, but who are you? Well, I'm that guy that did all that preaching. I'm, I'm the guy that built the, the churches for you. Seminaries and schools and hospitals and clinics. I've done all this for you. He says, but I don't know who you are. You're not my son. I'm going to ask my son if he knows you. Jesus, do you know who this guy is? Jesus, I've never seen him. Who are you? How do we come to God? Is it as a son, as a child? Who are you? So the Beatitudes. See, Jesus wants this to be very, very clear. That he's not looking at behavior modification, not some minor adjustments. He wants to create a completely new race. And it's not something you and I can do. So, the Beatitudes. We'll read verses 1 to 16. I'm at verse 3 now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they and they alone will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they alone shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again. 
if it is no longer good for anything, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see you, your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Father, help, help us. Move by your Spirit so this becomes clear to us. There's four beatitudes, eight beatitudes. Just practical. When we read scripture, we can obviously say, what's, what's it, what are you saying? And we can get into the deep things about it, but we should start with the obvious. There's eight beatitudes. The first four talk about a relationship with God, and the second four talk about a relationship with man. And everything, 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 in the entire Sermon on the Mount, in the entire life of Jesus Christ, flows out of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are you? Are you poor in spirit? We're going to unpack that a bit. But first I want to just look at the first four. Poor in spirit is talking about a relationship with God. We knock on the door. We say, I want to get in. On what basis do you want to get in? Who are you? Are you poor in spirit or are you full of yourself? If you're full of yourself, there will be no proud people in heaven. There will be no proud people in heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then we go, blessed are those who mourn, for they alone will be comforted. This is our relationship to God the Father. When we come face to face with Jesus Christ, what do we do? Oh, I am done, undone. Who am I? I can't speak. So we mourn. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is all talking about us and our relationship, about our inner self. Who are we? Who are we? The first four of the Beatitudes. And then it shifts. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is how we are with others around us now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So the first four are about who we are inside. Who are we? Are we... Are we keenly aware of Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross to set us free? Is that our claim to life? Is that, is that where we come from? Now we can say, oh, we show mercy to people. We were kind to people. Yes, but if it didn't flow from this, then it's not about that. It's who are you? Who are you? And, it, it, and it, as it flows, it's not a bad thing to be kind to people. But that's not what gets you into heaven it's just not so who are you so we got eight beatitudes the first four talk about a relationship with God and the other four talk about a relationship with their fellow beings around us verse 3 and verse 10 both end with this yours is the kingdom of heaven so in the first beatitude and the last beatitude it ends with yours is the kingdom of heaven now again I don't know Hebrew but I'm told that in, in Hebrew writings when you and that you have that phrase in the beginning of a section and that exact same phrase at the end of it what he's saying is that this whole piece that's what it's talking about that's, this whole thing is talking about that yours is the kingdom of heaven so when you mourn when you grieve yours is the kingdom of heaven what he's saying is that this is what 
when Jesus says later in the same teaching, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. He's talking about heaven coming down to earth. This is what it looks like when heaven comes down to earth. First of all, you become a new somebody else. You're not a human being anymore. You're not recognized and identified on your own merit or worth or talents or gifting. You become somebody else. Now another interesting thing as you read this, the Beatitudes is is the, the, the question is how do we see ourselves and where are we in this? When in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit. Blessed are those over there who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, is this you and me? Do you say, yes, that's me. I'm in. (laughs) I'm in. And if you're in, then he, verse 11, he says, okay, blessed are you. Not they. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you because they're going to. Because I can tell you, he says, Jesus says, I can tell you from my experience, they are going to. And I want you to know that when that happens, my father says, that's my son. That's my son. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. What Jesus is saying is that when your identity has changed and you now are a child of God, the world doesn't like you. When the the light of Jesus Christ is shining through you, the world doesn't like you. They want to kill the light makes them feel bad. Don't be surprised. Years ago I was uh, on a reserve somewhere. We had to fly into it up north and I saw different things happening and we met with the different people and we prayed together. I says, help me understand what happened here in this yard and also help me help understand what happened here. There was a, looked like there was a business that was going and flourishing but it was all not. And a yard that looked like it had a big garden but now it didn't. And I says, what happened over here? And he says, well there's somebody locally here who who thought that they would have a big garden and raise their own food and improve the plight of their family and, and start a business and, and get going and get things straightened out. I says, then what happened? He says, he made us all look bad. He made us all look bad. You see, if he has a big garden and a business and takes care of himself and proves things, next thing everybody's going to expect each of us to do that. We don't want that. We want to get our check and complain. He says, so they, so they burned down the building and they destroyed his garden because it made them look bad. You see, when Jesus comes and he lives life how God wants it to be lived, it makes us all look bad. It just really does. 
So we have a choice. We can examine ourselves or kill Jesus. And so when you and I have been born again and Jesus Christ, His Spirit is in us, we start behaving differently. And the world doesn't know what to do with us. All they do know. And Jesus says, I want you to know. I'm talking from experience, He says. So who are you? The poor in spirit, this is a fundamental characteristic of a Christian. You cannot be a Christian without being poor in spirit. Everything else in the Beatitudes comes from here. Everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, in the entire Scriptures, comes from this verse. In Christ alone, all hope is found. My hope is built on nothing less. Nothing else except Jesus Christ. It means emptying ourselves of of what we think is so great and wonderful. You see, when we empty ourselves of of who we are, then we say, come Holy Spirit. He says, I just love to fill you up. I just love to do it. And what he fills us with is we're different. You see, it's not a remodeling. When Lynn and I were married 10 years and she thought I was a bad husband, most people would have agreed with her including our two sons and anybody else who knew me. Amazing how so many people could be wrong, right? (laughs) Don't you know everybody else is the problem? And so, Lynn and our sons were not looking for a slightly modified husband. She says, I want a different husband. I don't want you anymore. Because you're just bad. So I went to Jesus, and I says, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, okay. This is now the area, Jesus says, where, where he speci- I specialize in. Jesus specializes in this. And people who come and say, I can't do it. Everything I have is junk. Jesus says, very good. Finally, you admit it. <laughs> Finally. I mean, how long have you been doing this? And we come clean, and we say, I can't do it. The person she wants me to be, I keep trying to be, I covenant I will be, and two weeks later, that's all afuruched. It goes right back. That's tongues, I'll interpret it for you. All afuruched means it just all fell apart again. I was good for about two weeks, and then it all fell apart. Until I just went to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, you, you need to change who I am. You just need to change it. Who are in spirit? Who are you? It means that one feels, if you feel anything in the presence of God except an utter poverty of spirit, then you have never faced God. Because any one of us that comes into the presence of God realizes we are nothing. Positively stated, it's those who acknowledge themselves as spiritually bankrupt. If I say I'm spiritually bankrupt, Jesus says, okay, you're a good candidate for heaven. Because he says, I don't want anything that you have, anything that is that you work up yourself. I don't want it in heaven. I want what is God inside of you. That's what we want here. It doesn't matter how often you've prayed the sinner's prayer, how many cards you've signed. You know, when I was young, I was six years old when I first accepted Christ as my Savior. I accepted him again about 30, 40 times after that. And I I came to understand something, that this business of being 
formed into the image of Christ is a process. Because I didn't understand what was happening, who I was, I just kept coming up and saying, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I didn't understand. And maybe you're going to feel that way today. You're going to feel like, wow, I need to ask Jesus in my heart. But then the voice says, no, but you are a Christian. What Jesus is saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit, is you need to understand this is a continual thing. Not, oh, I prayed when I was six years old, there, it's all done. No, 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 no. Because guess what? You don't look like Jesus right now. And I don't either. We need to go to the Lord again and again. So who are you? It's continual. It's not just one time to come, but we come with our poverty of who we are. We come, we come to Christ so that we become in Christ. What does that mean, in Christ? When we're poor in spirit. Now in heaven, who is Lynn going to be my wife in heaven? No. Am I going to have a wife in heaven? No. Is Lynn going to have a husband in heaven? Jesus. Hallelujah. And I will have a husband in heaven. Jesus. And we go, well, how does that work? Well, guess what? In heaven, there's neither male nor female. It's not a sexual gender thing. Because in Christ, it's not a gender thing. In Christ, it's not race, creed, color. In Christ, we are new creation. Our DNA has completely changed. Jesus keeps saying that. Scripture keeps saying it. And we don't hear it. We think... Jesus is looking for a little home improvement, a little remodeling. No. John 3, verse 7 says, You must be born again. Is that a little remodeling? No. You've got to become somebody different, okay? Who you are is not working for me. You've got to become somebody else. We need to die with Christ, go into the ground, be buried and raised up with Christ. Die to self. Die to the old. Then we can be married to the new. There's no remodeling. If, you're, if we think Scripture is about remodeling, if we say, well, we can read the Sermon on the Mount, we can all benefit from it, whether we believe Jesus or not, we can benefit from it. You know, that makes a lot of sense, right? Sure we can. Just imagine for a minute we're riding on the Titanic. On the Titanic... And we realize that we're sinking. So what was the counsel of the leaders of the Titanic when they were sinking? They said to the band, why don't you get up there and play and make everybody feel happy? Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Can we benefit from behaving and responding to the Sermon on the Mount if we do not believe the first one, that we are nothing apart from Christ? That's like saying, oh, the pictures are crooked. We better straighten those pictures because they're crooked. My wife really hates it when pictures are crooked. I'll just leave that there for her for a bit. <laughs> if the sink is shipping, sink is shipping. If the ship is sinking, <laughs> well, I could have done that intentionally if I wanted to. If the ship is sinking and we're all bent out of shape because the pictures are crooked, 
There's something wrong. Yeah, people can benefit from the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teachings, but the ship is sinking, folks. So who are you? Are you coming to Christ as a humble, empty, nothing? Or do you say, no, no, I got, I got, I got talents, I got gifts. A kernel of wheat has to fall into the ground and die before it can raise up. That's another teaching we have. So is that, that's not modification, it's death. And out of death comes life. One of my favorites is when the rich man comes to Jesus, the guy who built all the temples and synagogues and hospitals and helped so many, many people. And he comes to Jesus and says, Ah, oh, Jesus, here in front of everybody, why don't you tell us all what, it, what you have to do to enter heaven and have the applause come. Why don't you just tell them, huh? You know, here I am. I'm the guy that's built all these things for y'all and helped all these poor people and widows and orphans. Tell them. Jesus, why don't, why don't you tell them? I, I'd like to tell them, but no. Jesus, you tell them. What do you have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, well, you've got to sell everything you have. Give it all away. And then you've got to deny yourself that you're anything, have any worth at all, and pick up your cross every day and follow me. He says, well, I can't do that. Then Jesus says, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom? How hard is it for any of you and me that think we have anything to give to enter heaven? He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Then they say, well, it's impossible. He says, no, no. With Man, things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. Now, theologians have said that eye of the needle thing is really, there's a gate in Jerusalem that's really small and low, and a camel can only enter the gate. It's called the eye of the needle, and a camel can only enter it if you take all the baggage off and it crawls on its knees. You heard that story? Okay, another story is that there's a house in the Jewish times where in the back, there's a little door, a little, really little door, it was called the needle, eye of the needle, where, where small things could go in and out, but it was actually a door called the Eye of the Needle. Anybody heard that story? They're all stories. It doesn't exist. When you come to the sayings of Jesus and they're just too difficult to swallow, you make up a story that's easier to swallow. Jesus is not interested in remodeled camels. He's not. He's interested in camels that have gone through the eye of a needle. That's a pretty small needle, even though it's a big needle. It's a wool needle. So I said to them over there at the fabric store, don't you have bigger needles? I'm not going to get a camel through this thing. (laughs) He says, yeah, we got a bigger one. Here. Now that's a really big needle. Is it possible? Let me tell you something. This here is a guitar. Did you know that? What kind of guitar is it? Not name brand, just generically. What kind of guitar is it? Anybody know? Acoustic? Very good. Takamini's a name brand. I don't want name brand. What's that? Steel string guitar. 
hard on the fingers. We have other guitars, unless you're used to it. We have other guitars also that are not steel string, but they are nylon strings. Classical guitar, nylon string guitars. What did they use for instruments before they had nylon? Because they had instruments before they had steel strings and before they had nylon. What's that? Gut. Gut string guitars called cat gut. Oh, those poor kitties. <laughs> cat gut strings are not actually from cat, but they are from an animal. They're made from the intestines and walls of, of cattle. And it was called cattle gut strings, shortened as cat gut strings. And if you're a serious classical musician, you might have a, a cat gut string. A broke, if you're playing baroque, I don't even know what broke is. Broke is when you have no money, but apparently, <laughs> apparently it's something else in music. <laughs> I sometimes wonder about myself. <laughs> Jesus says the camel has to go through the eye of a needle. So what we're saying is this, is what a cat gut string looks like. This is a camel that I can quite easily put through the eye of this needle. Agreed? Who are you? Do you want to stay the camel? Do you want to keep being the camel? Or do you want to be this one that goes through the eye of a needle? It just means you have to die. Easy to do. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and the parables. It's, it's a process. This whole thing is a process. And that's why he keeps saying, you have to keep coming back to this first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you keep coming back to this one, when you come up to the, how do I behave as a husband? How do I do? You've got to come back to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't come with who you are. We bring our brokenness. We bring our fallenness. And Christ says, just be honest with me. You're broken and fallen, very good. Bring that to me. Bring that to me. And I'll run you through the needle. And when you've been run through the needle, we'll make some beautiful music together. Before that, you'll be a camel. We've ridden a camel. We have a video of Lynn riding a camel. That's something to laugh about. How they get up and everything, it's just really, really something interesting. But the camels are not known for making music. That's pleasant. Who are you? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And the second one is like to love your neighbor as yourself. There again we have wrapped up the Beatitudes. And it begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit understand that they're nothing, they're empty, they haven't got anything that's worth anything except Jesus Christ. And then when we come to God the Father, we say, how come I got only Jesus? And he says, if you only got Jesus, you got everything.
you got everything, everything, everything. I'm glad you understand that, he says. And so then from there, when we move to doing charitable work, see, some people say that I had a discussion with an atheist a few days ago, a profound uh, evangelizing atheist. You know what I'm talking about? They want other people to become atheists too. It's, it's an evangelistic atheist. And uh, so I had a good discussion with him. And, uh, and he, he was preaching to me because he used to be a Christian. So he's preaching to me and he says, Dave, don't you know that your job as a Christian is to help the poor, the needy, the disenfranchised? Don't you know that that's your job as a Christian? I says, no, it's not. And you could just see him. It was like, <gasps> he says, of course it is. I says, no, it's not. I says, you tell me, you've been a Christian. What does scripture tell us? What do we need to do? Make disciples. A disciple of Jesus Christ will help the poor disenfranchised. You see, but you, Mr. Atheist, you can help the poor and disenfranchised. And you've got it all wrong because you are wrong. The first point is who are you? Are you humble? Do you empty yourself? And Jesus says, if you would just be honest... Because he actually knows. Do you know that? You actually can't hide from him. He knows everything. And if we actually are honest with him and say, look, I'm, I'm broken here. I don't know what to do. I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I keep messing up. This is very good. I'm glad you're honest. And he says, you bring me that. You honestly bring me your junk. And together... Together, Jesus, you, the family of God, together. We'll get it dragged through the needle and we'll change. And it's a process. I don't know where you are today, but if you're anything like me, as I prepared for this sermon, I was again reminded of so many things that I need to repent of. So many places and times where I try to move in the flesh. I think this is God's work, but then I start pushing and, and the Lord says, Dave, what are you doing? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You need to be with me and then do what I tell you to do. Don't push. Cease your striving and know that I am God. Just be honest. I don't know what to do. Or hide keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. We are a faith-based community. We believe Jesus is Lord, that He is the Redeemer, the Messiah, King, and that He heals. That He forgives sins, He washes us and creates new beings, and that it's a process. Yes, there's a time when we're born again, but this becoming the image of Christ is a process. We need to be honest. Greg, you want to take the guitar? I'm going to pray. Now I'm just going to invite you to examine yourselves. Each of us examine us, and if there's something that we really feel, you know, I just I need to do business with the Lord. I want to be honest. Today I'm going to be honest. I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to be honest. I just invite you to, to, to 
come down here, kneel, stand, whatever it is. And we can pray with you or somebody else can come along and pray with you. Or you can say, I just want to be alone with the Lord. That's fine too. Or if you've got people around you that you want to pray with you, it's time to be transformed. It's time to go through the eye of the needle. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love and mercy to us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to finish, to continue the work you're doing in and through us here. And I ask you to take this word, Holy Spirit, and apply it where you want to apply it, how you want to apply it. Help us to respond, Father, to not miss this opportunity, this opportunity to do business with you. Help us, Jesus.